Let us ask the Lord to bless the preaching of his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that brings light and life to us. Please grant us understanding of you and our own hearts. Now as we hear the word preached, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my nearest kinsman, Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. As we continue our study in the book of Mark, let us hear God's word. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 29. Now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came back and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. There he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, Let us go into the next town, that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. These are the words of God. So how many of you guys have ever had a long day. You know, one of those really long, long days. Maybe it was just this week. You know the kind of days I'm speaking about. It's a day where it goes, gets going right quick into the thick of things, and then it is just one thing after another. Or as the gospel writer Mark would say, immediately going here and immediately something else happens. When you get to the end of a day like this, your memories of what you did in the morning seem more like yesterday or last week. Jesus, here in this passage, is having a long and busy Sabbath. Today's Gospel reading is the second half of the same Sabbath day that we studied about last week, where Jesus goes into the synagogue and teaches with authority. And of course, you remember, he was confronted with a demon-possessed man in the midst of the synagogue. Jesus doesn't argue with the demon, but rather commands him to be quiet and casts him out, the demon out of the man. After their time at the synagogue, Jesus, Peter, Andrew, James, and John head over to Peter's house to have fellowship together. I can only imagine the robust conversation along the way. The amazement and the teaching, the truth and the deliverance, not just of the man with the demon, but that the, that the demon itself is being driven out of the synagogue. Jesus is healing and restoring Israel for the coming kingdom that he is bringing in, his kingdom. Jesus is restoring Israel to God so that they may serve God. 
They are being raised up to serve the world as priests so that all the nations may be drawn to God, so that they can draw near to God. Our Old Testament reading tells us of the grace of restoration spoken of by the prophet in Isaiah 40. Now remember this, in the book of Isaiah it's broken up into several books, and starting with chapter 40 through the very end in 66, it is all of God's promises of restoration. There's promises in the beginning of the book, but there's this large call of repentance. For who? For both the people of Israel and for the nations around them. But in chapter 40, we see the restoration of God's grace for Israel, first fulfilled in the exile and then fully fulfilled in Jesus. Isaiah 40 verse 11 says, He, that is Jesus, will feed his flock like a shepherd, and he will gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those who are with young. Here in this passage in Mark, Jesus is feeding the flock of Israel, and will in fact carry all the sins and the judgments of those sins of the people on himself all the way to the cross. Chapter 40 ends with the most, one of the most commonly quoted verses. But those who wait on Yahweh shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Jesus, through His atoning life, death, and resurrection, restores us in grace. Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father, where He rules all things. When Jesus restores you and I, it is to give us strength, so we will have wings like eagles, and so that we do not grow weary, and when we run, we will not even become faint. What has He done this for? Is it merely for our own benefit? You know, we surely are blessed when God heals us physically, even more so when He heals our hearts. But He heals us so with gratitude towards Him we may serve others. You know, this is one of those things where we have to realize what God is doing in our lives. When He heals us physically and when He gives us a new heart, it is specifically for His glory that we are raised up. And in the, in the great gratitude we have for the work, the forgiveness of our sins, that we are called up to serve. The life that He gives us, the breath that He gives us, is for us to serve Him with gratitude that comes out in our everyday life in serving one another. Remember what Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life a ransom for many. Jesus Himself came to serve us, and He laid His life down. We too are raised up in Christ with a new heart. And when we have been given the hard providence of a sickness or an injury, God raises us up to serve Him for His glory 
and for the benefit of others. We see in our passage that Peter's mother-in-law is raised up for service. In verse 30 it says, But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. We need to see that the disciples brought the physical need of Peter's mother-in-law to Jesus. People of God don't keep a prohibiting uh, sickness or injury to yourself. Well, I, I'm not saying if you get a cough and cold, don't come to church and sneeze and cough all, all over everybody, right? That's not what I mean by keeping it to yourself. I'm talking about where God puts a providence in your life where you are not able to be raised up in a day or so by yourself, right? Call the elders. Do as it says in the book of James. If any among you is sick, do what? Call the elders. Please call us. We will come. We will anoint you with oil. We will pray that the Lord raise you up. But it's more than that, people of God. Sometimes in, in this world where we think that it's all about me and my family taking responsibility, we, we have this idea that we are a family and that we have to figure out our way all by ourselves. No. Do not keep the body of Christ from serving you. If you have needs, call the, call the elders, ask them to pray for you, but also let the people of God serve one another. Do not rob others for the gift for them to serve you. Do not be so full of yourself or full of a sense of independence that you must not allow anyone to help you. That is wrong and that is sinful. So we see here in this situation that they tell Jesus, they tell Jesus, come, please pray, please pray. Jesus raises Peter's mother-in-law, and this word lifted up or raised is the same word that gospel writers use for the resurrection. We see that after being sick with a fever, she was able to go right to serving. Now, I don't know about you, but my experience when I have a fever is that when it breaks, I'm not ready to just jump up and go do things. Is that your experience if you've had a fever? I mean, you feel like you need a little bit of time to, to rest up and recover. But that's not what happens here. Jesus heals and fully restores this woman. She's able to get up and serve. Now, this is not about a woman's duty to serve people. But it was rather that she was restored to serve others. Her healing was a grace and mercy that restores her to God's purposes. God calls each one of us to a life of service. J.C. Ryle in his commentary on Mark says this, We may see in this case a lively emblem of Christ dealing with sick souls. That blessed Savior not only gives mercy and forgiveness, He gives renewing grace besides. To as many as receive Him as their physician, He gives power to become the sons of God. He cleanses them by His Spirit, 
And when he washes them with his precious blood, those whom he justifies, he also sanctifies. And when he bestows an absolution, he also bestows a new heart. And when he grants free forgiveness for the past, he also grants strength to minister to him for the time to come. The sin-sick soul is not merely cured and then left to itself. It is also supplied with a new heart and a right spirit, enabled so to live as to please God. Which is not merely about doing things in a sense in a worship, and I'm reading my Bible and I'm praying. Those are important elements of your life. But God raises us up. He gives us a new heart to bring glory to himself that we too may be like our Savior and come and serve one another. You know, the people in... in let, me, let me just say this to you. God heals our souls and our bodies. He's given us a new heart so that we can live to please God. And we can do this by being His priestly service, servants at home and throughout all the places that God takes you, and to all the people that God puts in your path. You know, as we look at this passage, the busy Sabbath turns to night, and the whole city comes to Jesus. Verse 32 says, At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered at the door. Then he healed many. That word many is, is much, a great number, who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And of course, again, we see Jesus here did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Just a caveat here, uh, Jesus doesn't need nor want the publicity of the demons. The people in Capernaum had found new hope. As words spread about the authority of Jesus and the deliverance of the demon spread throughout the greater area of Capernaum, these folks brought everyone they could to Jesus for healing and deliverance. Can you imagine the crowd at the door? It says the whole town. I don't know, it's probably less than a thousand, but nonetheless, a thousand people at your door, it's a lot of folks. Now you got to think about this, what's happened? He's had a busy day there at, at Sabbath at the synagogue in the morning, and, and he's delivered the, the, the synagogue away from the, the demon, spoken and taught with authority. He's gone. He's, he's prayed and restored uh, a woman to service. They've eaten together. They fellowship together. And when the sun goes down, everybody comes out, and they're at the door. They're at the threshold. You know, it's important to note that even the people who did not completely understand the gospel brought people to Christ. Even some who had witnessed what Christ did in the synagogue, they went and told others, but they didn't totally understand what was going on. We can kind of see that, of course, because we know that Jesus' disciples weren't real clear about what was going on either. But their enthusiasm to it is much like a newly converted Christian or someone who finally begins to understand the Bible. For those of you that know the day that you didn't know Christ, and the next day, by the mercies of God, you understood the gospel, and you recognized 
Yesterday I was lost and today I'm found. When that has happened to you, you're super excited. You want to tell everybody. You want to bring everyone to Christ so that they can experience the same joy and peace that you have. But you know, it doesn't just happen in that fashion. Some of you have been Christians a great while. And you've struggled, and all of a sudden the Lord gives you great understanding, more than you've ever had before about His Word. Usually, a lot of times we find it in particular doctrines where we understand its importance in our daily lives. And then what happens? we got to tell everybody. You know, you know this stuff we've always heard that really doesn't motivate you, that doesn't do anything for you, doesn't really help you understand what's going on in the Scriptures? Man, I have... The Lord's brought some folks to me, or I've heard it, or however I found it, God brought it to me, and man, i got to tell everybody about it. For a lot of young men, in the Reformed world, we call this the cage stage. All of a sudden, they understand the doctrines of salvation through God's providence and His sovereignty. They begin to understand things like post-millennial theology, or, or the fact that Jesus is Lord even now, right? We, we, they begin to understand, and man... They get almost to the point, and, and whether it's a newly saved Christian or someone who has a clearer understanding of God's Word, they almost become obnoxious in trying to get everyone else to see and experience what they have. They're so full of thanksgiving for the forgiveness of their sins and the understanding of God's Word, their enthusiasm drives them to tell all who will listen. And I would argue maybe even some who don't want to listen. But you and I cannot become settled in our faith. We can't become so settled that we don't act out of thanksgiving, that we don't act out of gratitude for the thankfulness for all of God's gifts. Are you thankful for God's gifts, including the forgiveness of your sins? You know, God has bestowed many good gifts to us. And we see the pattern in the Bible where it says, go and, and remember all the things I've done in the past for you. We get so caught up sometimes in the busyness of our lives and the stuff that's going on, we don't share, we don't tell people. And why are we not doing that? It's because we've really stopped being thankful and full of gratitude. We don't repeat what God's Word says about God's faithfulness. And we don't even repeat God's faithfulness in our own lives to ourselves and to our children. God knows our temptation to think over time that it is our works and goodness that has built our lives. Sometimes we get in a place in our faith where we think that the peace that we have and the, and the financial blessings that we have, well, that's come out of my hard work. And that, you know, I'm kind of good on my own. You know, I'm handling my business. This leads to such ingratitude that we can even begin to believe that we have delivered ourselves. God, knowing that this would be a common temptation, when he establishes, when Moses is preaching that great sermon, he establishes Moses to say this to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 8. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God, by not keeping His commandments, His judgments, and His statues, which I command you today. Now, I just want to say this. A lot of times people take this and say, okay, 
I got this law I have to, to follow. This was not just about forgetting about the morality that God sets out, but also remembering what God said in the law, in His judgments and His statutes about worship, about forgiveness of sin, about how it is God who transforms us and provides for us, and about how God is the one who invites us to his meal of fellowship of peace. So again, we're commanded, don't forget these things. And then it says in verse 12 of Deuteronomy 8, Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. People of God, we've got to need to guard against this. It is Christ who gave us the blessing. It is Christ who saved us. It is Christ who's given us every opportunity. God himself is at work in your life sovereignly. And he called you. Don't fall into the habit of ingratitude. Our faith must not be only in our heads, but also in our hearts. That is to say, it changes our motives into action. Let us not simply be knowledgeable about Christ, but truly love Him, so that our daily actions and words flow from loving Christ as Savior and King. May we not be shy about telling others of the forgiveness, grace, joy and peace provided by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Returning to our text, after such a long day of ministry, we see that Jesus gets up early and goes out and prays in the wilderness. Verse 35 of Mark 1 says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Jesus goes out early to pray. The word solitary place can also be translated and understood as wilderness. Remember, Jesus was tempted and defeats Satan in the wilderness and then was ministered to by angels. Jesus goes out to pray, having disrupted, shut up, and cast out demons. Jesus went to pray, remembering that he speaks the words of the Father. He looks to his Father with his petitions. You know, in, this, in the Gospel of Mark, this is the only place where we see Jesus praying early in the morning. It's not a mandate to pray early in the morning, but it does tell us some things. You know, in the busy times of our life, finding time to pray can be tough. It's finding that time where no one is clamoring for you. So getting up early can be a good time to pray and it may be your best time to pray. I certainly would commend to all of you, if you wake up, and even if you don't have much time right then to pray, you can easily pray the three-part prayer. We, we talked about this last year when we were looking at the book of Ephesians. But it's the three-part prayer is simply this. Thank God for creation and your life. Thank God for the work of Jesus in forgiving you and changing you. 
and with humility and gratitude, ask God to complete the good work that he has begun in you. Now, I just said that. That took about 15 seconds. So if you're a busy mom, and all of a sudden all your kids are up, you have time to pray this prayer. Look out the window. Thank God for his creation, for the life he's given you that day. You'll be framing out your day in the business of parenthood, in military service, or the demands of your responsibilities. We must remember that Jesus withdraws to the wilderness as he clears the way of the kingdom through preaching, healing, and casting out demons. But you know what else he's doing there? He is carrying our sin. He has seen the sin of the people of Israel, and he is healing them from the consequences of their sin. To what end? So that they can be reconciled to the Father. Remember, we mentioned this before, how all of these things that you see Jesus healing the people of are all things that made you unclean and unable to enter into the temple. So while he's establishing his kingdom, while he is raising people up physically to, to, to serve others, he's also clearing the way for them to return to the sanctuary of God at the temple. And what is he doing for us? He's healing us from the consequences of our sin so that we too can be reconciled to the Father. Isaiah 53, beginning of verse 4 says, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes we are healed. All the while, Jesus is healing, preaching, and restoring. He is grieved at the sin and the consequences of sin that he sees in Israel. He is truly bruised and afflicted and wounded for our transgressions and iniquities. That's our sin. We are healed and restored to true life by what Jesus did on the cross. Returning to our narrative... All of these enthusiastic people are hunting for Jesus. We see in verse 36 of Mark 1, And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. Can you imagine the disciples, when they came upon Jesus, they were excited to say, Everyone is looking for you. You know, they're kind of implying here, Hey, we've got some traction People want you to come back to Capernaum and stay a while. The word that everyone is looking for you can be understood as to be hunted after. We see in the Septuagint this word being used for Saul hunting after David. It's also used in the way that the high priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees were hunting after Jesus to bring him down, to destroy him. You know, some people are looking for Jesus because he heals and delivers. Others, they are out to tear Jesus down, to seize him and destroy him. Jesus, turning to the Father in prayer, knows that the mission that he's on. He's not tempted as, you know, he's not tempted to the, to the same temptation that Satan brought before him in the wilderness. Remember, what did he do? He said in the prior encounter, 
Satan comes up and says, I'll give you all the kings of the world in their glory, right? That call to go back to Capernaum, it's very much the same kind of thing. What does Jesus do? He goes out and he prays to the Father. He thinks and knows what his mission is, what his purpose is. Jesus used the word of God to defeat Satan, and he goes to the Father in prayer, carrying the burdens of the people to God. Jesus faithfully moves to the next town so that others may have their way cleared for restoration, healing, and deliverance. You know, Jesus stays on mission. This reminds us, too, as we get busy and things happen, and someone begins clamoring for your attention, is this keeping me on mission, the mission that God has for me, for my family, my church, my community, to be restored to service, priestly service, that they may draw near to God? In Mark chapter 1, verse 38, it says, But he said to them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee, casting out demons. Jesus understood his purpose. Jesus goes to the synagogues and preaching. And as we saw last week, casts demons out of the synagogues. He does this now all over Galilee, restoring the houses of teaching and prayer. Jesus preached the gospel that the kingdom of God was at hand. When we look back when it says what he was preaching about, he, he, this is what we see earlier in Mark. Repent and believe the good news that the king has come. And when he said this, it also says there in the early portion of Mark, it says Jesus preached these things and he said that the time was fulfilled. What was fulfilled? Again, we can turn to the prophet of Isaiah and look in chapter 61, beginning in verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, that's Jesus, because Yahweh has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison of those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of Yahweh, that he, that is Yahweh, may be glorified. Jesus fulfilled this in all the prophecies concerning the anointed Son of God. Jesus preached then, and in his word heard today, he preaches to us. The poor here in this passage are not just destitute in this world, but those who are destitute of righteousness. Those who are humble and poor in spirit before God. Jesus declares, remember he's the one speaking in the passage, that God has sent him to heal the brokenhearted. He says this, the brokenhearted, those are those that are repentant. He proclaims liberty to those who are captives. He opens the doors of the prison that binds us up. He says, it is now the acceptable year of our Lord. This points to the year of Jubilee, where all God's people are restored and made whole again. 
not because of their doing, but because God makes it so. It's also a day of vengeance. That is a vindication that God's word is true. Living your life according to your own ideas or idols will bring discipline and judgment. In this vindication, those who mourn for their sin will be consoled. And the ashes of repentance will be turned into beauty. Our sinful garments will be changed into garments of praise and gratitude. And when Jesus' righteousness is reckoned on you, you will be called righteous. It is all God's work. He calls you. He plants you. And He does this not for your glory, but for His. In Christ Jesus, there is a new day. Each one of us need to live daily with gratitude that is not just in our heads, but demonstrated with our words and actions. Stand up. Follow the King. There is a way of life, and there is a way of death. Hear the gospel of good news. Follow the King, for He alone gives life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks that Jesus bore all our sin and all the judgments of our sin on the cross. Please forgive us when we despise your gifts of forgiveness and healing. Have mercy on us for falling into the idea that we have accomplished anything apart from you. We petition you, Lord, for how we so often live by grumbling and complaining to deliver us from it. We ask that you would be gracious to us and allow us to live with thankfulness and gratitude for your glory and praise. We ask these things for the sake of your Son, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who reigns with you and the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen.